I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to After Law, broadcasting from the beautiful South Berlin. Except no sandwich. Hello dear listeners, welcome to what I was going to call an impromptu random fixture from the past. It's actually less impromptu, more overdue really, because I had these notes from about a week and a half ago, uh, intending to do the show, and as you well appreciate dear listeners, you sometimes you just don't get round to it, do you? You cannot be asked. But I can be asked today, it's Easter Sunday, and I thought it would be nice not to leave the note-taking that I did last week to to go to waste. The random year chosen by the dead hand of random.org was 1953, and when I compiled this um, little piece, it was actually March the 28th. So I do try, if I can, to put these random shows out on the day that the edition is released. Don't always work out that way. Uh, didn't work out that way this time, but I'm going to do it anyway. 28th of March. 1953, therefore, is the random date from the past that we're going to be looking at. And we have a Millwall fixture from that day. It was a Division 3 South win. Millwall won Reading nil. This would be the 1952-53 season, which was actually quite a successful season, um, really. Uh, in modern terms, it would be classed as a fantastic season. Um, but back then, the problem that we had as a third division club was that the league was structured so only the champion side would be promoted to the second division. Lions actually finished the 52-53 season under the manager, managership, managerial command of the great figure of Charlie Hewitt. Um, probably his most successful season, in truth. On, on This is his second spell at the club after a period in the in the uh, pre-war years, we'd actually finished second in the table with 62 points, just two points behind the championship side, Bristol Rovers. But that wasn't good enough. Um, as I say, only the champions got promoted in these times, made it very difficult to get out of the third division. Um, one of the reasons why we were stuck in that league for so long, in my opinion, especially in the 50s, difficult post-war years, austerity, hit years after the uh, the rebuilding of the country, after the Second World War. Um, but this was one of the better seasons for the Lions. So we finished second in the third division south. We'd sadly remain there for those reasons. But this win over Reading was played on March the 28th, 1953. It was played out in front of 
14,611 at Colblow Lane. A 1-0 win for the Lions. Scorer was Frank Neary, an old name from the past there. The Lions team um, in goal, Malcolm Finlayson, who was referred to the other day um, on one of our shows by Neil Andrews. as one of his favourite Scottish players ever to take the field for Mill. So Malcolm Finlayson in goal, he would go on to greater fortune away from the den at Wolves. Win the, he'd actually win the league a couple of times and the FA Cup at Wolves. Um, back two will be Jardine and Fisher, one of the Fisher brothers there. The midfield, as we would call it in modern terms, short, Bowler and Reeves. And the forward line, Frank Neary, Smith, Alan Monkhouse, Pat Sayward and Hartburn. Um, now, I've actually picked out a couple of names from that season. The top scorer for the season didn't play in this particular game, and that man's name is John Shepherd. And he's an interesting character. Um, Johnny Shepherd would play 22 uh, fixtures this particular season, 52-53, and would score quite incredible 21 goals. That's pretty much goal a game from John Shepherd in this 52-53 uh, season. So I've picked out John Shepherd. <clears throat> he didn't play against Reading. It looks like he was affected by injury a fair chunk of that season with just 22 appearances out of the the 46 that would um you know that would compile comprise the program um but i've also picked out another name from that era second top scorer for that season uh john shepherd was our top scorer with 21 goals second top scorer for the season was one of the names i did mention which was alan monkhouse as i've said a few times on these shows one of the pleasures that I try and get take from the shows is to try to look at names of contributors to our club from the past that are less well known. Um, One of the sad truths of life is that as these years move further and further away from the experience of, of modern fans, these names become, they fade. And I think that's a tremendous shame because John Shepherd and his 21 goals and Alan Monkhouse, with his 17 goals, contributed to one of the best seasons, um, comparatively speaking, in Mill history. So I thought it'd be worth picking up on both names, if you'll indulge me that, dear listeners. But before we look at the careers of Shepherd and Monkhouse, I did find one press report. It's from the people for this particular game. Um, Mill won Reading nil, as reported by the Sunday people. The headline says, Hey Millwall! This wouldn't please the boss. Um, Then the the copy says, Mill manager Charlie Hewitt wasn't there yesterday to see his team beat Reading. If he had have been, I know he would have gone away a disappointed man. Certainly Mill got the all-important goal, but they produced a poor brand of football. I don't know if this is anything new to you, dear listeners. A win with a poor brand of football seems quite coincidental, doesn't it? The report continues under pressure. The defence was shaky. Once in the first half and three times near the end, mistakes and silly mistakes at that nearly cost me all the game. Twice, Jerry Bowler was badly at fault. In the 11th minute, his casual play let in Richie. Luckily for the Lions, Richie was just as careless as Bowler and shot straight at Finlayson and in goal. Neary was the only bright spark amongst the forwards and it was right that he scored. It was a grand goal too. He beat two men and cracked in a left-footed beauty past my old Arsenal colleague, George Marks. And that was written by a journalist, probably an ex-player, Joe Hume Holm, uh, dated 29th of March, 53, from The People. Sounds very familiar as a report, doesn't it, dear listener? I, th- I think you could have probably um, photocopied that report and um, you know reused that many, many times over the course of 
uh, Mill history. So um, there we are, one nil win, nevertheless. So first up, we're going to be looking at Johnny Shepherd, nineteen thirty-two to to twenty eighteen. Um, he is actually seventh in the list of Millwall's all-time goal scorers. Remarkably, because I still, as I've said already, still say he's probably one of the lesser-known names, John Shepherd. But there he is, seventh alongside some of the other greats that are well known in club history, such as uh, Morrison and, and, and Neil Harris and Sheringham and Posse and so on. But Shepard would be with the Lions for seven seasons in total, 165 appearances in the seven years between 1952-53 and 1957-58, 165 appearances, 78 goals scored in that seven-year period. That's a remarkable record. Now, obviously, that was mostly played all played in Division Three South, so you can talk about the level of play. But I think whatever your level, if you're getting goals at that um, at that kind of pace, then you're a remarkable player. He's an inside forward, born in Kensington in London in 1932, joined from the RAF National Service in the summer of '52 to Millwall, and would eventually move on to Brighton in June 1958. There's an interesting book that's on Amazon. His, his daughter Julie Ryan wrote a biography of her father, John Shepard. It's called In and Out of the Lion's Den, Poverty, War and Football. Um, now, I've had a quick look on, on the lines, and I've actually managed to take a bit of the back page blurb. And I'm going to read that because I think it sums up John Shepard's um, career quite nicely. So this is the back page blurb from Julie Ryan's um, biography of, of her father. Um, it says, when 20-year-old John Shepard scored four goals on his debut for Millwall in 1952, he not only equaled the national goal-scoring record for, for an away Football League debut, he also launched a successful football career that saw him go on to score prolifically for Millwall, Brighton and Hove Albion and then Gillingham. But his career almost never happened. He spent much of 1951 in hospital, struck down by polio. The remarkable story of how John overcame this debilitating setback and how he progressed his career in the £14-a-week days of 1950s professional football, is told in In and Out of the, of the Lion's Den, with searching perception by his own daughter, Julie Ryan. The book also reveals a much deeper backstory to this footballer's life. For once, this, this aspiring young man had met and fallen in love with Esther Gonzalez of the 7th Thevers Youth Club in North Kensington. He was to marry into a family who had been refugees from the Spanish Civil War, the moving story of their survival from the lion's den, um, uh, the, oh, the lion's den of Fran Franco's fascism, uh, General Franco's fascism, altogether more savage and devastating than Millwall's footballing version, that's saying something, isn't it, is a poignant counterpoint to the trials and tribulations which John's own family had endured during the Depression of the 1930s and the dark days of the Blitz in the Second World War. Um, the book is a wonderful evocation of football in the 1950s, the story of a Roy of the Rovers football hero who could not have been more different from the highly trained and paid professionals of today. But it's also a richly detailed portrayal of working class life at that time and the war-torn decades which led up to it both in England and in Spain. It's a must-read for all true football fans, especially those in London and the southeast of England. But it's also a tour de force for those interested in the wider social, economic and political forces which shaped that era as an intimate account of the consequences and impact of those forces on this legendary lion and his family. So that's called In and Out of the Lion's Den. It is on Amazon. Um, I've not read it, so I'm going purely by the blurb. It sounds a 
really interesting, really interesting read. Um, and that, as I say, it's an account of John Shepherd, Johnny Shepherd, 1932 to, to 2018. RIP, one of the great goal scorers for Millwall Football Club. And it's my um, privilege to be able to mention his name here today and hopefully give, give some measure of uh, memorial to his achievements. Now, the second name that I wanted to mention to you, dear listeners, is Alan Monkhouse. Um, he was second highest scorer in this particular season with 17 goals. Um, but he's not a name that I'd come across previously to my, to my, um, uh, you know, to, to, to my shame, really. Now, there is a short paragraph on Wikipedia, which I'm going to um, read to you. Alan Thompson, William Monkhouse, born in 1930, uh, 23rd of October in Stockton on Tees in England. He died in 1992, aged uh, 60, 61. Um, he was a forward. And he played for the Lions. He started his career at a small club called Thornaby. He played for the Lions, 69 appearances of 23 goals. Spread across the late, very late 1940s, 1949-50, through to 53-54 when he would move to Newcastle. There is a short report from um, the Sunderland Daily Echo, um, which says, Alan Monkhouse, Mill centre forward or outside left was today transferred to Newcastle. The transfer was completed in London at a meeting between the mill manager, Mr Charles Hewitt, and the Newcastle director, Mr Stanley Seymour. Monkhouse, a native of Stockton-on-Tees, was suspended recently by Millwall uh, for failing to report for training after a visit to his home. That suspension has now been lifted, and that's the, that's the report. So he's clearly crossed swords with Charles Hewitt. I think that was a very easy thing to do. Charles Hewitt is a huge figure, which uh, I keep toying with the idea of doing a, a show or a feature on him. He's, he's uh, a domineering character from those times, a fascinating character, kind of man stroke, um, sort of that monster, but you know what I mean, one of these huge, huge personalities of the time. But Alan Monkhouse clearly had crossed his path. Um, he was released in 1950. 53 to go to Newcastle he would not enjoy a huge amount of success with uh, with, with the tune uh, just 21 appearances over the three years that he was there 21 appearances nine goals he would finish his career with York City in the 56-57 season before going non-league with, with South Shields um, a total football league um, tally of 98 appearances for Mill, Newcastle and York 30 goals, that's not bad. It's one goal in three. That's not a bad, bad turnout. The Wikipedia piece describes him as a strong and powerful centre forward, but he could not displace the more famous names at Newcastle, such as Vic Keeble and, and Jackie Milburn, who was obviously part of the um, the Charlton, uh, Jackie and, and Bobby Charlton family. He was known as a penalty kick specialist, apparently, and quoted as one of the most consistent spot kickers of Northeast football. One small amusing anecdote I found on, on a Newcastle United fan site. This is from a chap called uh, Ron Langston, who recalled a pre-match incident involving Alan Monkhouse. He says several of the opposition were wearing the fancy new low-slung continental boots, as against the old hobnails that he would have been brought up with. So Alan, seeing these continental boots, borrowed a pair of scissors off of the trainer and cut his co-op boots back down to size. It somehow didn't look quite the same. Um, no, I dare say it didn't. There's a picture of Alan Monkhouse in. I will stick uh, Alan on the uh, the show notes or on the on the, on the Twitter feed rather when it goes out. Um, 
wonderfully brill creamed flowing hair and the usual kind of um he's wearing Newcastle shirt, black and white shirt, but as so many players of that era, they looked old beyond their times. I guess such was the uh, the tough and hard times that they were born into. So Alan Monkhouse, nineteen thirty to nineteen ninety two. Rest in peace. Um sixty five appearances, sixty nine appearances, forgive me for the Lions, twenty three goals. From 1949-50 to 1953-54. So there we are, dear listeners. I hope that you've enjoyed this um, overdue random fixture. It's nice to be able to get this one out, actually. It's been, I've had it on my iPad, and I keep saying to myself, I must do this, I must do this. And I'm glad that I have, because these are two names that deserve to be remembered. Johnny Shepherd and Alan Monkhouse. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. If you're enjoying Afton Mill Podcast, then why not help us grow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts? We'd love it. Love it if you visit the Apple link in the show notes and leave us a rating and a review. Achtung Mill is the number one podcast broadcasting from beautiful South Bermondsey. No show sponsors, no Patreon, and no TikTok accounts. Thank you, dear listeners, and as always, Arrivederci Mill. Happy Easter to you, dear listeners. Welcome, one and all, to another random fixture edition of Achtung Mill. My name is Nick Hart. You are... Of course, listening to the number one Millwall podcast, Actung Millwall, namely. And as it's Easter, I thought it might be nice to do a random fixture um, based in and around the Easter period of the past. And the great god, random.org, has turned up the year 1899. So we're going to take you back to Victorian times, dear listeners, to a little Easter programme of matches in actual fact. Um, Millwall the Dockers at this time, playing at East Ferry Road on the Isle of Dogs, now occupied by the Big Asda that's by the side of Cross Harbour Station. You've got absolutely no trace whatsoever of what was quite a substantial stadium. 
It had famously a running track and cycling track around the outside of the football pitch in the middle. Apparently it held upwards of 15 to 20,000, so it was quite a substantial arena. The lines had moved there following the um, departure from the back of the Lord Nelson earlier on in the 1890s. But the lines occupied the lines, the dockers, keep calling the lines, they would not become the lines until after the um, the Boer War, when the term lions became more popularised, as many other things African at that stage. But the Dockers, at this point, were playing at the East Ferry Road ground. And we have a, a series of three games, actually, for you, which I found in the British newspaper archive for this, this particular um, Easter weekend of 1899. And each fixture would take in, actually, some of the um, the four corners of the of the, of the United Kingdom, um, so to speak. So first up, we have a, they're all friendly matches. They seem to have arranged a holiday programme, um, not featuring any league. At this point, Newell Athletic would have been a Southern League side, a very powerful Southern League side. And the Southern League at this, at this point in history was at least a match for the Football League, which is more Northern-based, the Southern League by its very name, being based down South. But it was certainly in terms of football power and you know, um, status, at least a match for the Football League. And you will get a sense of that by the nature of some of the fixtures that were arranged for the 1899 Easter weekend. Anyway, first up, we have a friendly game between Mill Athletic and the Scottish Amateurs. Now, this would be a um, representative side for uh, Scottish Amateur Football. The Scottish Amateur Football Association would not be formed until 1909. So I'm guessing this would be put together probably by... Clubs of the ilk of Queen's Park, who are very powerful in Scottish football, even at this point. Their, their heyday came in the um, in the very early years of the FA Cup when they, they were famously semi-finalists, but they were a very influential side, Queen's Park playing at Hampden Park. Uh, and most famously of all, of course, amateur, and they, they remain amateur to this day. But this is a representative side of some sort. We don't have much to go with, I'm afraid, dear listeners. Just a paragraph from... The Sheffield Daily Telegraph, which reports Millwall Athletic versus the Scottish Amateurs at Millwall yesterday before 8,000 spectators. The visitors won the toss. It looks like the only thing they did win in this particular game. Banks and Barber were making their initial bow for, for the Athletic, for, for the Dockers, Millwall. In the opening half, Banks from Tannerhill's Pass scored for the home side and Barber scored from a penalty, notching the second. Half-time, Mill two, Scottish amateurs nil, and then a wonderful sentence. Uh, nothing was scored in the second half. The final score being Mill two, Scottish amateurs nil. So nothing happened basically in the second half. Now Banks will be familiar to anyone that listened to the summertime shows that I did with Neil Fisler last uh, last year. Now that was Bert Banks, Herbert Banks, eighteen seventy four to nineteen forty seven, famous as our first ever English international. And he actually featured on the calendar, if anyone bought one of the calendars that um, we put out at the start of the season. He was one of the faces that we managed to um, put on that calendar. Name really in Mill history, as, as I say, in that he was our first English cap. A short man with a tendency to put on weight was his reputation. And he was suspended in 1899 by Millwall for precisely being that, for overweight. Strangely, he was also known for boundless energy, so... Um, it's uh, not always about your physique, dear listeners. It's about what's, you know, it's the fight. It's not the, the dog in the fight, it's the fight in the dog, as they say. So Banks, Herbert, 
seemed to have plenty of fight in his in his particular dog. He also served in the First World War, um, nineteen fourteen. At the age of forty, interesting. I think many men, even at that age, comparatively late in life at that point. Keep in mind that the life expectancy for the average working class man then would have been barely 60, maybe 65. Hence the uh, the old age pension being 65, of course, because they didn't want to pay it to you. But um, he did serve in the First World War and after leaving football he worked as a warehouseman. Herbert Banks, Bert Banks, capped against Ireland. 1901, sorry, yeah, 1901. Now Bert Banks would score in the second of the holiday fixtures that I've picked out here for you. This was another representative um, side. The uh, Millwall Athletic played the Leinster FA of Ireland, um, the Leinster Football Association, a representative side, as the name implies, for the Football Association representing Leinster, one of the, one of the four great regions of Ireland, which is on the east coast of, of the island of Ireland and kind of to the surrounding to the north of Dublin, if I'm, my Irish geography is, is correct. Please do correct me if I'm incorrect on that, any Irish listeners. This friendly was played on April the 3rd, 1899, Millwall 2, Leinster FA 2, played in front of just 2,500 spectators at East Ferry Road. A very short report, again from the Sheffield Telegraph, at the East Ferry Road enclosure, Millwall yesterday. At the time of the kickoff, 42,500 spectators were present. After an attack by the Irishman, the home team settled down and McCullough made a neat save in the Irish goalkeeper. On renewing the attack, Banks, and Herbert Banks, Bert Banks netted the ball, so a score there. Mill's success was only short-lived as Hare equalised and at half-time the scores read one, read one each. Nothing on the second half in this particular report. The result was Mill 2, Leinster 2, so a draw against the Leinster FA. Now I've had a quick look in on Wikipedia on the Leinster Football Association. He's an interesting opponent. Um, obviously one of the major provinces of, of, of the island of Ireland. Um, formed in 1892, it's actually one of the oldest football associations in Europe. Only the National Football Associations of Denmark and Netherlands, in European terms, are older, apart from obviously the four uh, home associations. It was originally affiliated to the Belfast-based Irish FA, um, but following partition of Ireland in 1921, it seceded from the IFA and became part of the Football Association of Ireland in the in what will become the Republic in due course. And having dipped my toe into Irish political matters previously, I'm going to leave it there because I think I can only dig myself a hole with someone or other if I continue with the subject. But Leinster FA representing um, that region of Ireland and is one of the oldest FAs. It still exists, in uh, founded in 1892, and it still exists to this day nowadays as part of the FAI, the Football Association of Ireland. So the third and final fixture, probably the main fixture in all honesty that I've chosen from the holiday period of April 1899 is a friendly fixture between Mill Athletic and Glasgow Rangers, which was played. Um, it was reported in the referee newspaper on the 2nd of April, so I'm going to guess it was played the day before, um, I would imagine, given that we played on the 31st of March against the, the Scottish amateurs. I'm guessing this was an April the 1st fixture, um, but I can't can't tell you that for certain, dear listeners. But this is a report from the referee, a newspaper, football newspaper primarily. Um, continuing their holiday fixtures, Mill today, oh, Saturday, there we are, received a visit from the Glasgow Rangers. It was not the Scottish clubs 
uh, league team, um, the match between the Scottish and English leagues claiming several of their best players. And Mill did not play Banks and Barber, who had so materially assisted the club to beat the Scottish amateurs on Good Friday. Um, the after, so it's kind of a second string 11 on both sides to, to a degree. But a very substantial, prestigious fixture. Glasgow Rangers at this point were already Scottish champions a couple of times over. Scottish Cup winners, a major, major club, in not just in Scottish terms, but in, in British terms. And Millwall, um, you know, were able to command that level of opponent. So it's, it gives you a real sense of the stature of Millwall Athletic at this point. It's it's quite strange given the the tumble down the, um, the divisions that would happen after the, for good reasons, after two, the two of the major uh, World War conflicts that would happen in the 20th century. But at this point, the Lions of the South were major names and major opponents worthy of Glasgow Rangers sending a team down to, uh, you know, to conduct a friendly. Game appears to have been a good game, fast-paced, uh, the ground in excellent order, says the referee. Both sides put in some good work. Um, goal scorers, the... Uh, the result of is 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 one that will um, hopefully raise a few smiles to this day. It's Millwall Athletic five, Glasgow Rangers one in front of seven thousand spectators at East Ferry Road. Um, apparently, heavy rain towards the end of the game um, rather took away some of the um, pizzazz from the game. It started out quite as a fast-paced game, but as the half wore on, the second half wore on, the rain came down hard. And, um, as I say, took away some of the spin. But what a result. Mill Athletic 5, Glasgow Rangers 1, half-time 2-0. Goal scorers, Hill, John Calvey. I will touch on John Calvey. Um, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. And then we don't have timings for the uh, the third and fourth goals for Mill. Scored again by Hill and Calvey. And then five minutes from time, Calvey um, scored the, the fifth Mill goal. And a last-minute Consolation for the Rangers, uh, a chap called Allen, A-L-L-A-N, scored in the 89th minute. Rather a casual start to the day. The start was fixed for 3.30, says the referee, but uh, 10 minutes were wasted and the game got started at 3.40 in the end. And half-time, it refers to Mill having a long rest. I don't know how long this rest was for. Um, and then a very precise restart time of 4.37 for the second half. So... Um, there it is, bit of a bit of a cash start to, the, to to what was quite a prestigious fixture. John Calvey, score of two goals there again is another man featured on our calendar. Um, Jack Calvey, also known as a, a great goal scorer for the for the for the Lions for the Dockers, um, signed age nineteen, and famously expressed doubts that he was good enough to play for a team of the standing of Mill Athletic. He scored a hat-trick in his debut in an 8-1 Southern League win over Ilford in 1896. In his second spell, he came back for two. He went left to go to Forest in 1901, when many of the players did indeed um, you know, find other clubs because uh, Mill was in, in financial trouble at this point. But when he came back for a second spell, he was rather overweight, sadly, and um, playing on past reputation, as one that newspaper put it. But a big name um, in, in early Mill history, John Stroke Jack Calvey. And finally, just to close what had been a fairly busy week of football for the, the Dockers, we see in the, the Morning Post dated April the 6th, Thursday, April the 6th, 1899, the holiday week is closing. 
But we see that Mill Athletic took on a club by the name of Thornaby Utopians um, yesterday, so it's been a Wednesday, before a small company, not many people turned up for this one, but Mill Athletic closed out the game 3-0 over the Thornaby Utopians. Not so good at, uh, not such an idyllic result for the Utopians there. Elsewhere on the page, we see that Lord Hawke's cricket team have just departed Cape Town in South Africa, having defeated the Colonials, as they're put here, who failed utterly in their second innings against Lord Hawke's team. The Colonials were disposed of for a total of 35 runs. And the day after Cape Town, the team have taken to the Union Company steamer Norman, which has left for England, forthwith having dealt with the Colonials. And finally... Here's a story for you, dear listener. A death of a drafts champion. James Wiley, the celebrated herd laddie, herd laddie, and ex-champion drafts player of the world, died in Glasgow yesterday at the age of 80 years. Um, <laughs> the champion drafts player of the world. Who knew there was such a thing? And certainly, um, you know, at the age of 80, to be claiming that title, what a player he must have been. James Wiley, the celebrated drafts champion, passed away yesterday, which will be April the 5th, 1899. So there we have it, dear listeners. I hope you've enjoyed this little rewind back to the year 1899. Um, We've strayed slightly far from the mill path there, but that is the way that this show works, isn't it? Um, Hope you enjoy these shows. We will be back very, very soon for further considerations of the olden days of Millwall Football Club. Until then, Arriva Dirty Millwall and bye for now. Thank you for listening to Aston Millwall. If you enjoyed the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a cheeky little review. Arriva Dirty Millwall. Till next time. Who do you want to watch? Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.